the grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grade Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, Australia retained the Ashes after 18 long years of hurt thanks to Steve Smith and England playing one more game in the World Cup two months ago. We'll go through the five days at Old Trafford, uh, like Stuart Broad running through Dave Warner and his reaction to being told he's a cheat by a member of the public for the first time on day three of the fourth test. We'll talk Pat Cummins, Smith vs Leach, weird public anger, victory songs and Steve Harmison's. Chris Rogers is on the show to remind us that playing in England is actually all about Manus Labuschagne and hashtag RCGC involves batting awards, pushing your son on the swings, mistaken identities and how to deal with being the cricketer in your office. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Dave Edwards in Sydney and Sam Perry in Melbourne. Boys, uh, how does everyone feel now that the Ashes are officially staying in Australia until, well, I suppose at least 2021? Mm. G'day boys. Uh, I hope I speak on behalf of many Australians here. I'm, I have a, like it, it was a deep and viscerally beautiful feeling uh, like I, I walked the streets on Monday with that deep sense of joy you get mm. when your team achieves something very difficult. We're going to talk in this cast about the different ways Australia's win is being explained. Some of them are quite funny, some of them are silly, uh, and there's a lot of agendas within them. But like to my mind, it was a it was a genuine triumph, uh, not just set against the backdrop of Cape Town, uh, though that's important, but like just against the pure difficulty of winning a series in England. There's technical skills, application. Uh, Australian teams haven't really been able to manage it this century. I think it's their best achievement since the final frontier win against India in 2004, and uh, they should feel deeply satisfied by it, and we, by extension and by uncontrollable luck, who were born into this particular nation-state, um, are too permitted to enjoy uh, the success as well. Finn. <laughs> well, their success is our success, so we should all share it as a nation. I mean, what a turnaround after, you know, the horrors of Headingley that was all just immediately extinguished. That moment when, you know, the DRS decision came through, like Josh Hazelwood's Nutra-Grain roar, just that video of them all just reacting to that decision. There was so much tension and it was just all beautifully and sweetly released in that second. You could feel it. The nation, I felt it. Um, waking up that morning, just the sky was clearer. I felt happier. We all feel happy. It was a bit lighter. nervy, but I feel lighter. Yeah, definitely, infinitely lighter. Headingly rocked us, but we, the Australian team and us, we stuck to the script and we worked hard. And as we all know, if you work hard, 99% of the times you'll get cuts out. <laughs> That's the end of the show. We've done it. We've answered all the questions for, of Old Trafford. Um, the, the sort of the storyline after the series was that Australia had been working for about two years uh, on this Ashes series. It goes back to the Lehman era as well um and i was kind of thinking about this and it's kind of like well you know england spent four years trying to win the world cup and they did that and australia have like basically got rid of odis for the last four years and they've obviously put the eggs in the in the ashes 2019 basket and they've succeeded so it kind of like seems to me that like 
it seems you can't be good at all three formats at the same time. You kind of have to put all your eggs in one basket. I don't really understand mm. how or why, but I suppose that would have been, you know, Cape Town does fall into the last two years. Obviously, it was only, it was only 15 months ago. So, like, that would have been a huge dent into those plans. But um, mm. why, why is that? Why is it like t- teams are now just focusing on one tournament two, four years in the future, and when they win that, then they just have a break and they think about something else? I don't know. It, yeah, it's, it's like a con- – I think you're right. That's, prob- that's probably right. Like, uh, no doubt both teams invested in different places and, like, arranged their teams accordingly. I'm sure there's some level of conquering thing. Like, I think the story of Australian test cricket – well, it's probably like cricket in Australia at least this century and prob- and beforehand is test cricket is still probably the pinnacle thing. Hmm. But Australia has won the World Cup four times. So I don't think that it's just quite simply there just wasn't that same drive. Don't need it. To win it again in England in a situation where England hadn't won one at all and they'd set themselves up for this golden summer led by the World Cup but then following up with the Ashes victory. Mm. Um, mm. And so, and, and like they, it's, it's all, you know, Test cricket is just all about winning series away from home. Like everyone kind of wins their series at home. I know there are outliers and stuff, mm. particularly with Australia and South Africa where the decks are quite similar. But really, like, that India, Australia, England thing, if you can go over there and adapt your techniques and beat their best players on their home patch, that's kind of... Yeah. I think in Australian cricket, that's kind of been the thing that we've not been able to do. Mm. So that's I think that's why Australia went that way. Yeah, because I, I wonder, Edo, let me put it to you, that, like, maybe, they, maybe mm. Australia saw England clearly focusing on winning the World Cup and they're like, we can get them here. Like, we can, we can get England here. And, like, look how well Australia have played. I would say... They have outplayed England in four test matches in a row, including the one that they lost. And Stokes has had an absolute worldie, mm. including, you know, coupled with one of the worst umpire decisions of all time. Um, but, like, mm. look how well Australia have played to try and try and win this series, and they've only just about just done it, you know? So, like, maybe they saw yeah. England focusing all the energies into the World Cup. England, England in, their, in their test squad, they've got uh, counted seven. I counted seven guys who played the World Cup. Australia have six. So, like... right. There's no like, there's no like World Cup hangover. England played one more game, so but Australia plugs so, all mate. the energies into the Ashes. Thoughts? Well, yeah, but you've also got to give credit to you know Pat Howard. I think he's the one that deserves this, and I've noticed okay. on social that the Pat Howard revisionism has commenced, and he's been credited for this Ashes victory. I nice. think he did bring in the Duke's ball at Shield level, even oh, though yeah. the, the ball fundamentally behaves differently in Australian wickets and conditions. So maybe mm-hmm. it's not really the same thing. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in time, Pat Howard will be remembered as one of the great visionaries of our game. And mm. everyone looks good after enough time has passed. I think enough time has passed for us to, you know, give him all the credit um, for our victory. Mm. Um, all right. So to Old Trafford, they picked Mitchell Stark. That seemed to be a little bit surprising. Didn't bowl well in the first innings. Well, he sort of came back on the second and the second day uh, when he when he cleaned up Bearstow especially. So he came back all right. So you kind of have to say that the selectors have done a pretty incredible job for Australia <laughs> throughout this entire series. They've picked Labuschagne into the squad, who seems to be a long-term number three uh, for Australia. Uh, that seems, well, he's going to be in the top order anyway for the next little while, you, you suspect. Um, they've rotated the bowlers expertly. And I don't think they've made a single bad decision just yet, have they? Uh, they got their, like, I think you have to give it to Justin Langer. Yeah. People are going to have different views on him and his style. And there's a lot that's uh, mm. uh, able to be mined there comedically with Justin Langer mm-hmm. and will be over a long period of time. But, like, he's, as you said, he goes, he has selected beautifully. And then the way that they went about the series tactically by, I guess, foregoing that idea of, like, o- overlaying the 
the Australian way, you know, of playing and, and being a bit humble about the conditions and then the way they play. So, you know, all of a sudden Peter Siddle was a far more uh, appealing prospect than Mitchell Stark, you know, that's a, that's a great symbol of that. But then finding the right time to bring Stark in, I mean, he did kind of wobble a little bit, didn't he, mm. when he started playing. But at the end of the day, he's, you know, he's hit 50 not out. He's got Stokes out which in the first innings, which is no small feat mm. given the way Ben Stokes has inflicted a permanent scar on our psyche, on our psyche as a nation mm. forever. Um, he was the one who was able to get Stokes out. He got Bairstow out twice, uh, and so you have to say it's a good selection. He was, you know, he was the horse for that course mm. uh, with a bit of with a bit of reverse swing. So uh, they've they've done remarkably well, and I think Langer deserves um, a shed load of praise. I, I know we're going to talk in a second about the way the series is being explained, but I, I think it's a it's a genuine unadulterated triumph. <laughs> It was, I was kind of thinking that, um, you know, England, I think England have had three excellent performers throughout the series. Obviously Stokes. Rory Burns has been a surprise. Uh, well, he's, he's been fantastic. Really. I think they've got a long-term replacement there for the next couple of uh, winter tours, um, the top mm. of the order. Um, but also Stuart Broad has been fucking incredible in this series. And, like, I'm just looking at the way that he's bowling to Warner and it's kind of funny because it's a bit like watching Jason Roy bat where you're like, something's going to happen every single ball. Uh, and for poor old Davey, not many balls, to be fair. Um, but Broad has bowled all, some mate. absolute Look pitches up. to him. It's a real worry, isn't it, about Davey? Broad absolutely tied him up this whole series. I mean, mm. Warner had a good World Cup, but he... He, he's, he's lost it, this Ashes, hasn't he? I mean, Broad got inside his head and he's exposed this this weakness. I mean, we talked about horses for courses and maybe we just have to stop picking him to tour England because, you know, based on evidence and, and evidence and data is important these days, it, he hasn't mm-hmm. really done very well over in England. And there's a few blokes actually that we probably should just put a black line through for future mm-hmm. Ashes tours. So maybe that's a a takeaway but you know I mean even though David Warner averaged nine he, that won't stop him celebrating this victory harder than he ever has <laughs> because it's often the blokes who contribute the least that celebrate the hardest because yeah. they're also they're also like drinking to mask that pain I mean it's a cocktail of pleasure and pain and that's what he's You've having right now that. yeah like because uh, he's got 21 test talents you know or whatever it is yeah and, um, or, some shit. or some shit, yeah. Mm. Or some shit. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, whenever Stuart Broad is playing against mm. him, like that, that otherwise that career average otherwise doesn't really count. I mean, he, he effectively averages nine <laughs> when Stuart Broad's <laughs> playing. So that's what you can now expect when he plays. I guess it would have been really interesting to see what they would have done with him were the series still alive. But I think now that it's over, uh, they'll just play him. And uh, but because he's an absolute lock for an Australian summer oh, yeah. where he'll probably score five hundreds and compensate. It's going to be great. Deeply. Well, I can sort of so. I can sort of see Warner and Kawaja opening the batting for Australia in the summer and having Labuschagne at three. Didn't think that was going to be the case about two weeks ago. <laughs> but And then Smith at four, uh, head five, you know, it's probably, it's probably going to be a bad off as it always is at the beginning of the Australian summer for six, you know, Wade's the incumbent. <laughs> but... Um, um, yeah, I mean, an- another battle that was sort of um, hotly contested, well, hotly talked about leading up to the Test match was Smith versus Archer. Archer's had a funny one because he's bowled one unbelievable spell, and he hasn't really bowled that well since. You know, it kind of shows like he's just this raw talent, and undoubtedly he's going to be amazing when he comes to Australia, when he travels all around the world. He's going to get better when he comes to England. You know, there's probably a likely chance that Jason Gillespie, who's working at Sussex, is going to be the next England coach. You know, off, Joff Rutch is going to get better. But right now, I feel like he's kind of just raw talent that isn't – well, he's, he's played well in one game, I suppose, out of three so far. That's, is that fair? Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Uh, I don't think it's fair to say one game out of three. Uh, like, I, I, I think he did bowl more than one good spell, but that first spell, the way he burst onto the yeah. scene, yeah. made you think, wow, is that your baseline? Because <laughs> yeah. if so, we're fucked. Yeah. This is Space Jam <laughs> shit. You've literally just knocked out Bradman. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, we couldn't get you out, so I'll just knock you out. And I was like, that was in many ways, yeah. you know, as an Australian, that's um, that frightening. That's scarier. So, um, but then it was it was deeply surprising in this game to see him commence that first spell the way that he did, and like really quite mind boggling. And it wasn't even really like it wasn't able to be explained by a lot of the more seasoned professionals as well who were mm. commentating at the time. And I'm not even sure if it has that much since, other than. Look, the conditions weren't that conducive. It was it was cold. It was a blustery wind. It is hard to run in, especially if you've bowled fifty overs in the previous test. Like, like I guess that's right. But even so, like you could you could see with him as well that he really did pick it up once Smith came in to bat. So he'd obviously got himself really wound up for that particular contest. But you know, I mean, we're going to talk about Smith in in some like in one second. I no, nobody's doing anything to Steve Smith for a little while. I think he's. I mean, we, were, we we said that he'd compensate for that year out. I didn't think it'd be like this. Like he might go, <laughs> like he could, man, he, he could hit a triple ton in this next match as well. Bat first yeah. and just let him go. Okay, so I want to get into the next bit, which which does include sort of Warren's, uh, Warner Smith um, and Payne. And, and Payne's obviously contribution in the first innings was fairly pivotal. Um, 50, 60, something like that. Um, batting for mm. a long time with Steve Smith sort of taking the game away from England. Now, like... I understand opposition's, you know, disliking the opposition captain. Uh, sorry, like a, a home fans disliking the opposition captain. It happens all the time here. Um, but, like, I really don't understand the anger towards Tim Payne from, like, English fans. They hate him. They really hate Tim Payne. I can't think of, like, anything he's ever said. He doesn't carry on. He's not, like, I mean... I can sort of understand why English fans didn't like Ponting. It was kind of like, first of all, he was really good, so you automatically dislike him. Mm. But Ponting was like, mm. he was quite aggressive on the field and there was a few times where maybe he took things a little bit too far, possibly. But Payne is like, I just don't understand it. And there's like this theme going on in the Ashes where like, there is like so much anger coming from both sides, Australia and England. But I suppose you sense it a bit more in England because they're the home team. But like towards Payne, I, I, I honestly don't understand it. Well, I mean, he's he's a villain that they don't understand. I mean, mm. English people like <laughs> typical Australian pantomime villains that they do understand, like mm-hmm. a, yeah, like a Ponting or, mm-hmm. or a Warner, you know, a rabid attack dog yeah. in the field who you know demonstrates wildly with his body language, and they mm-hmm. they understand that they can hate that. But Tim mm-hmm. Payne is he's very English in many ways. He presents well. He's got a lovely lid, beautiful skin, speaks very well. <laughs> obviously educated. And they don't quite know how to take that, but. You know, the default mm. reaction is to obviously hate it aggressively, mm. and that's what they're doing at the moment. Mm. Okay, so he, um, it pays you go. Yeah, go he, on. he, yeah, he. I mean, he made that edge baston comment at the start, and you know, he deeply offended the uh, Birmingham oh, yeah, faithful right. by true. suggesting that uh, it wasn't the top fifteen grounds or whatever that's that, true. <laughs> for intimidation. But um, I think like they tried to line him up this series as like a, a real weak link. You know he's not as good as oh, Carey's played well. His his average isn't that great. He's only scored one first class time. They kept banging on about that, and also like he was going to be the lightning rod for this idea that like um, you know that Australia are actually still shit blokes uh, when they're trying to say that they're good. And I think that was one of the great mm. like narratives that, were, that has tried to be prosecuted mm. with Australia being over there. They're mm. like, oh, we're looking for any opportunity to demonstrate you you guys actually are still terrible people mm. um, because it's one of the main things that we are able to hold over you mm. uh, and even even on that account 
uh, I, I think they were scraping the barrel, really. <laughs> yeah. Do the, the Australian side behaved themselves way better than a lot of their predecessors <laughs> would have, especially after that Headingley loss. You just think of the, some of the old sides losing like that, absolutely <laughs> lost their minds yeah. uh, at that loss. You know, yeah. and like the the venom, the vitriol. You could, you, I can see the spit coming out of some of their the old players' mouths now. Dressing room doors, <laughs> exactly. And he was kind of, you know, pain wasn't that. And then you know, even now, like to rub salt into that wound as well. He made a really valuable contribution to the match as well. You know, in that first innings, Smith was looking for a partner. He hit fifty eight. And took the took the score from sort of two twenty to three sixty, and just put them out of sight a little bit. Yeah. And you know now averages are coming through showing. Oh, actually, he's uh, he's got this sort of equal second highest average of a wicketkeeper. You know, um, in Australian history since sort of World War Two. So you know after Gilchrist, he's sort of even with Haddon, and then after that, he's got Healy and Rod Marsh covered. So uh, you're sort of sort of struggling to find a hole for him. <laughs> really, he's uh, the, the way he's brought the team together mm. uh, after Cape Town. There's no, I mean, as people who've played grade cricket and knowing what Aussies are like, and we sort of um, you know ridicule it endlessly here on the show, mercilessly. Mm. Like he has done extremely well to um, to bring him together. Yeah, so, I mean, like. Yeah. Payne is a wartime leader, isn't he? And I, like, I don't think enough Australians appreciate that we have been at war, you know, in a cricketing sense. The, the past two years, it's just been unbelievable tumult, you know, from the, mm. the tampering scandal onwards and, you know, the upheaval of half of CA, not to mention Smith's ban. And, you know, we're still in a trying time here, but fuck me, CA has got to be happy with Payne because he has just delivered on every KPI they could have possibly imagined. From our perspective, we've just got to give him the keys to the city or whatever it is <laughs> we do these days. I've never really understood. Well, this is a really good question. Is, is there a ticket? I mean, this has got to be ticker tape parade worthy. It's been a long time. Yeah. I mean, this whole Ashes, what they've achieved is brought still me back to the 90s. to the city? Are there keys and uh, ticker tape? Yeah. That's hard because it's footy finals time. So, you know... Uh, you know, maybe if West Coast don't make the finals, I don't know. It could be. It just yeah. probably depends how the AFL pans out, really. Okay, Perth, yeah. next up. Well, uh, just ask the AFL. <laughs> well, well, yeah, what's Gillen think? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, next. Steve Smith. Pez, you've rightly, you've rightly said oh, before Smith came back, you thought that he was just going to be like insanely crazy hungry um, to just break all the records and make up for all lost time. Um I have never seen I, – I, I sort of went about a year ago, I was like, nah, Coley's a better batsman than Smith. And, and, like, part of me still is, like, tuned into that, like, classical sense, probably prefer to watch, you know, Coley and Smith's weird and stuff. But, like, what Smith is doing is completely unparalleled in any batsman I've ever seen, home or away, England, India, Australia. It doesn't matter where, you know, peak Brian Lara never did this. Like, it, it is insane what he's doing. I think, I think if he scores – I think it's something like 300 runs at the Oval. He'll break um, Bradman's record for most runs ever in a series. Um, and keep in mind, he hasn't batted uh, for three innings in this Test series. So um, remarkable stuff. Now, what I, want, I mean, there's, there's obviously not enough superlatives to talk about his batting. But what, I want, what I'm interested in here is, like, like he's still getting booed. Like, it's, it's, it's still going on. Um, and, like, you can dress it up as, like, you know, Old Trafford rises as one. And don't get me wrong, there's probably 95% of the people who hate the booing. It's embarrassing. But, like, there's still a significant number of people who are still abusing the guy who is just absolutely the best since Bradman. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right on there being no more superlatives. I don't like it's completely. There's you know every generation kind of has a best since Bradman mm, person, true. but the stats are literally backing it up. Yeah. 
And like kick, like can he get better? He's about to have an Australian summer, probably <laughs> on flat wickets, where the bowlers will request that the wickets are flat so that they can put their feet up for a few days mm. while Smith hits four hundred. Mm. Can he? I don't, can he get? Can he get? Start touching Bradman statistically. Um, <laughs> maybe uh, he might get that. He, he might get a triple ton at the Oval yeah, and beat that nine hundred seventy-four. Mm. Um, yeah, on the booing. It's, I mean, I guess it's happening to Warner as well. Like, I, I mean, to sort of have it right, like the initial novelty of it, like, wasn't actually so bad. It was to be expected. We talked about it. it you know, people, like, love having a go at the Aussies. And, and like, what happened in Cape Town was a genuine case of, like, 40 years of being terrible blokes, mm-hmm. institutionally speaking, mm-hmm. and getting and having a punishment that somehow addressed that as well. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. these guys are the kind of lightning rods for it. Like, I didn't... I thought the initial novelty of it wasn't so bad, but, like, the persistence of it now, four tests in, post the World Cup, starting to get a bit embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a bit folly to enter into, like, very, very tedious social comparisons. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, like... You wouldn't put much boorishness past Aussie crowds as well. True. You know, that getting into the, the water battery is very, very silly. Absolutely. But, I, like, I, you know, put my stick my neck out here. Like, I genuinely think if a shoe was on the other foot, all things being equal, that I, I don't think that Aussie crowds would be seen to boo a bloke four tests in who's hit a double tongue in the circumstances that he had. Like, And, and maybe that's out of a sporting education thing. Mm. I don't know. I think that's um, right about the sporting education and the, the reluctant... Yeah begrudging applause that we give people for dominating like even us. the wor- the worst bogan i reckon yeah. would be shouted down by by probably a warn and stuff and that's that's the thing i found interesting there's been a few pieces of commentary without one to highlight any specifically that have kind of suggested oh, uh, the, the crowd rises as one as you said he goes mm. and it's like no it's not i can hear you <laughs> <fucking laughs> booing <laughs> not everyone's doing it you know like don't pretend and i know a lot of people find it a bit um like find it really unbecoming uh, like english women can't speak for for everybody but uh, yeah four tests in i i just I, yeah i, I just wonder if like, people people have like bought the tickets for the fourth test match they bought these months ago and they go this mm. is my day out yeah. this is this is my time where i'm going to give oh, it yeah. to this bloke you know and like i found it funny like when when lion was like getting the ball thrown back to him on that first or second day whenever they first bowled and they were cheering when he caught the ball i was like it was like three in the morning and i was like that is legitimately funny like i laughed at that That's yeah. when funny. it was like the third day in a row and, like, obviously the two days who after the, the first day it happened, those crowds have just been watching the TV and they saw it happen. They're like, oh, I want to yeah. do that as well. So it's like you, you can't, like, sort of begrudge people. Like, you're having their day out at the cricket. You know, it's one day a year you go to a test match. But it's English a great people day love out. that. You know, they but love it like, in, a, in a Premier League match grim. when someone does a pass that just doesn't go to the bloke and everyone mm. does an ironic cheer. Mm. Like, they just love that little bit of failure. And, but they need mm. to get off their high horse and realise, mm. you know, better than us, England. I mean... On the, on the tampering stuff, yes, well, we did it. Smith kind of oversaw it, but the English team used mints to get the ball to swing in 2005, and we should yeah. all just accept that we're all fucking cheats, and if it makes you feel good to boo Australia or you know, call Australians convicts, which is a strange insult, I think, <laughs> in today's globalised society, and probably one that says more about you than it does about us, whatever, go ahead and do it. But at the end of the day, we've completed the ashes. Well, I find it. So with, like, with, on the line stuff, like... Yeah. I, I kind of I can still even get that a little bit like three or four days in because the difference between say Lyon and Smith is where I'm coming from the booing is like and I, and I throw Warner into this with Lyon as well like you can make an argument that those guys don't have as many redeeming qualities sure. right yeah, I wouldn't necessarily but I can see why Lyon grinds people's gears yeah. and I can you can definitely see it with Warner yeah, yeah, yeah. so you can make that you can make yeah, that argument Absolutely. Smith 
like Smith is being a- aloof and mm. and like historically dominant mm. uh, and not causing anybody else any other mm. problems. Mm. So that's I just <laughs> think like particularly after like a double ton, yeah. it's like. Um, you know, you, you got you got a hand. You, you got to give it to him, but maybe that's funny, and maybe the commitment to the joke. You know, this is deep comedy. Mm. You just got to commit to the joke mm. <laughs> forever. Okay, well, we'll get into Smith's um, Smith's comedic styles in a second. But like, I mean, we also yes. the uh, we also the the image of uh, Warner coming out of the dressing room after lunch on day three, I think it might have been, and uh, someone yelled out, "Warner, you fucking cheat!" And he just like turned around and just gave it the big thumbs up. And it's like, <laughs> what? Like that's kind of sums it up. They've been getting this. They've been in England for fucking three years. It yeah. feels like Australia. Like, at what point does that guy think like, "I'm going to get him. I'm going to get Warner. I'm going to get him. He's going to fail." I mean, it's worked to be fair. Broad's got him out a lot, so you know, maybe fair play. <laughs> Uh, One of the great reactions by Warner Probably Mm. the best thing he's done all tour That that was really, (laughs) really good Um, I mean, I feel like um, Because we copped a lot of heat, Jerry Let's insert ourselves into the story Let's do it We copped a lot of heat, especially um, myself During the World Cup For being perceived to be like English cheerleaders Mm -hmm. A little bit But you probably (laughs) sense on this show that it's actually quite like the opposite, and it's I, like I don't know about you guys, but I, like I'm sort of observing um, a number of like sort of uh, a bit disingenuous or or coded arguments, just trying to detract a little bit from what I think is just a comprehensive triumph. Mm. Like uh, you know, firstly. Like Smith is a cyborg. Like Smith is this outlier. Mm. You know, if you didn't have him, it'd be a different story. Dehumanizing him. Mm. Well, kind of. Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he did, that's exactly it. It's like he's still in the team. He's still a product of the country. You're allowed but to own. He's a machine. Yeah. That. He's like Ivan Drago. Like, yeah. We decided, exactly. You wouldn't be like. Like, like you know, well, the Bulls wouldn't have gone as well without Jordan. Yeah. It's like no, they wouldn't. But <laughs> he played for them. Yeah. He was fit and available, and, even just and we like, picked him. Yeah. There's still these, you know. Um, G Warner, uh, you know Smith is um, eccentric but exceptional. It's like why, but mm. is and like like he's this peculiar batsman. No, he's he's wonderful. If, if you can't find anything interesting about the way he bats, you're not watching closely enough. It's like, but it's like he looks bad. Um, <laughs> then there's you know you hear you hear um, well we won the World Cup. You know there's a bit of that as well. Oh, there's going to be a bit of a hangover there, a bit cooked. But you know there's the other point of like like Vish uh, and Hanthraj made a really good point on the Guardian spin podcast the other day saying, well, you know, like Headingley doesn't happen without the World Cup as well, you know, with Stokes. So I'm not sure how much it carries over. You know, you've got you've got the guys are still cheats. That's the Harmison angle. Mm. He'll always be remembered as cheats. I don't know if Smith's going to be remembered that much as a cheat with what he's doing. Mm. Um, and then the other one people are saying is, well, it should be 4-0 really. <laughs> it's like... Uh, <laughs> Like yeah, they're anyway. not banging on There's about things a- like mother. Like wasn't Tim Bresnan talking about mother cricket, and you yeah. know implying there's some karma to like just relax, stop thinking about this stuff. Just yeah. it just doesn't make sense. There's no mother cricket thing. I like to think cricket's a funny cricket. game. Firstly, cricket's not a funny game. It's nothing funny. Not cricket's not a mother funny. either. It's a yeah. <laughs> what 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 a family member is cricket? There's yeah. not been a mother to me. Isn't it sexist it's been as a, well. Yeah, like a spiteful yeah. woman whose sole purpose is to wreak havoc mm. karmically. Well, it's been a diff- difficult stepfather to me. It was kind of like very Justin Langery. Um, I want to, um, <laughs> I want to, um, I want to get you guys take on uh, the celebrations afterwards. We saw, um, we saw Steve Smith wearing glasses, and uh, apparently he was reenacting Jack Leach's reenactment of his single at Headingley. Um, I find that interesting. I find that interesting that like Smith was happy for that to be seen. Like he, he didn't, he hasn't kind of 
hit that. Like it's it's been well documented a number of times when like journalists are still in the press box after the day's play and they're and they're they're you know filing or whatever and and um, so it was like seen and like he was he was photographed and he was filmed like wearing glasses and it was fairly obvious that he was openly mocking Leach, which is an interesting thing because he's like Leach has obviously become a cult hero in the UK and, and you know rightfully so. So uh, uh, I haven't really seen Smith do that before. I reckon Smith's got levels. I reckon he's got a couple of levels to him. I think he might be a little bit funnier <laughs> and have a few things. Like he, I reckon he could hold up his own end a little bit. So he, Would, so he here. But I mean, on the yeah, I reckon on the on the leech thing. I mean, we're going to talk to Chris Rogers in a second uh, about that. But um, or if he lets us. But um, <laughs> I reckon that was it was curious because I thought the way England celebrated that win against uh, that, that Headingley win was fine. It was such a yeah. like an amazing victory yeah. that you're going to have fun with it. You know, you, it's only a short career you live, yeah. and they're always going to do some banterous things. But I can also see the Australian team looking at it, going, "Oh, that's interesting," and just in in true Australian classic fashion, or I guess English as well, just repressing that, keeping that stored away for yeah. later, yeah. and yeah. to then toxically mock it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's really, that's really <laughs> I just cool. love the complete absence of context for it to be a Chris Rogers gag. <laughs> <laughs> like why? Exactly. There's no context to that. Like he was definitely <laughs> mocking Leach, and he had every right to do so. I mean, Leach lapped up the moment. That's mm. fine. The mm. cameras were on him. That's what you do when you you do something yeah. and cameras around. If it's going to come back and get you, that's that's yeah. a shame. It kind of reminded me of how um, David Warner punched Joe Root in a walkabout bar all those years, and he said it was because um, Joe Root was wearing a wig on his chin, <laughs> and yeah. then Warner saw that mm. as like a slight on um, was it Hashim Amla? Hashim Amla, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Like yeah. that didn't that wasn't what it was. You just wanted to punch <laughs> a bloke, but it's, I mean Warner also barked at a dog. Like a dog again, that Faf Duplessis in South Africa. He barked at a dog. He barked at a dog. <laughs> he barked at a dog too. I wouldn't too. put it past him. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Just walking past Davey Marubra one day, he's just, he's just barking at a dog. Uh, <laughs> right. We're going to speak to Chris Rogers before we, uh, before we lose him. Uh, so we get him on the line. And then after that, hashtag ICGC. Kat actually wrote uh, a three-part fan fiction series a few years ago uh, entitled The Choke, which looked at the, the fallout from the dressing room altercation between yourself and Michael Clark. Now, clearly this incident split the team into two lines, you know, much like Christos Tsiolkas' novel The Slap. Um, can, I, can I send that to you for feedback? Because I think you'll like it. <laughs> I think you've just got good feedback, haven't you? <laughs> Fan fiction. Okay, boys, it's our pleasure to welcome back to the show one of our very best friends, I think. Never sure with ex-players. Uh, he was a run glutton at all levels. We miss him on the airwaves dearly. But to be fair, he's currently doing something far more helpful for cricket in Australia, teaching the young guns how to bat. I'm, of course, talking about Chris Rogers. Buck, welcome back to the show. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Can you just describe uh, briefly, Buck, where you are at the moment, uh, who you're with, what you're doing? Um, I'm in the Little Hunter restaurant in in the centre Adelaide. I'm having a, a steak and a... A glass of uh, Pinot with Ryan Harris, so um, not the, not the worst night I can remember. Yeah. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Who made the decision to pair a Pinot with uh, with Ryan Harris and Ryan Harris? <laughs> um, he's much more experienced in um, this field than me, so I, I let him do that. <laughs> yeah. What are you just to just to steer this completely off track from the plan? But like, 
you know, people around the the nation and even into the UK will be wondering whether you guys are catching, you know, having a celebratory pino following the Ashes win, or are you just two blokes who hate talking about cricket? <laughs> um, yes, for some reason the the conversation still goes around cricket, especially when uh, we've won an Ashes series. But um, yeah, that, it was uh, we actually were at my brother's place that night in Perth. Um, Having a having a drink and watching uh, Australia win, so it's been a good few days, that's for sure. What do you make of it, mate? I mean, you're um, you're involved in the system now as well, so you can probably take a little bit of credit for everything that's gone into the planning and 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 the way sort of uh, CA <laughs> has prepared the players and 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 is sort of changing the system. I mean, uh, what, like, what, what does the Ashes win mean to you? <laughs> Yeah, I, I did a heap of coaching with, with uh, all those senior blokes. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't have a – it had pretty much nothing to do with them. So, um, But I have seen a, a lot of the, the the work that's gone into it. Um, I get to see it pretty – you know, the, the real detail and, and all the data that they, they look at. And there's, a, there's so much more that goes into it than you'd probably – believe but um the fact that they've, they've won um and and watching the prep and and how they go about it's probably no surprise so um yeah it's been an excellent effort i i guess going into it uh, from my own experience i always i still thought it, you know it was it was going to be tough and maybe we just weren't going to be able to handle the conditions that well but i think with the planning particularly the way we've gone about with the bowling and controlling the run rate um that's been that's been a real key and um and yeah, the, you know the, the way the English guys have gone with the bat has been pretty average. So um, all credit to to the the staff uh, for the Australian side who, who have done such a good job. Mm. And you, like, I mean, you, you obviously it's obviously been uh, eighteen long years that we've had to wait um, to to win over there. I mean, obviously you played a couple of series over there yourself in one of those um, unsuccessful tours. I mean, does it does it kind of now you like seen how Australia have done it now? Actually, hard it is to win over there. Now I'm sure that it was obviously you're obviously very aware how hard it was when you were actually playing in those series. But kind of like seeing how Australia have done it, and even though they've played so well, they've still kind of you know scraped at a couple of results. Like, do you sort of appreciate even more how hard it is to actually win in England from a Australian perspective? Uh, yeah. The funny thing is, is when you retire, quickly you've forgotten because I actually played in two series, not, not the one. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll pull you up on that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah look, it, is, it is so difficult because um, the English guys know the conditions so well. I mean, you, you know, they when I played in there, they, they had um, the likes of Broad and, and Anderson who, who were just... You know, it's just impossible to play at times, and then the, the batsmen would get the job done. Um, mm. And you, you felt, I think, particularly in 2015, we felt we were going in as almost favourites, um, but we got turned over, and and we just played the wrong style of play. That was probably the the, the most disappointing thing. Um, so uh, it was good to to see that you know the Australian side realised they they had to change their ways. They couldn't play the Australian way in England. They had to play the England way and. I think they did that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Bucky, speaking as a former opening batsman, our opening partnerships were not good this series um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, if you want to just offer a bit of a review on the 
the opening situation we've got here at the moment. I mean, Davey Warner, you could see the way he laughed after he got trapped in front in the second <laughs> innings of the last test. I mean, he just feels nothing <laughs> is going his way. So just, um, you know, just the opening situation for Australia at the moment and also just on Warner, you know, technically speaking, what's going on there? Um, I, I kind of suggested, I, I think I remember saying um, at one stage that, you know, the side who wins the first test and, and gets a little bit of form is, is a good chance to, to go through and win the series just because in, one, in those series it feels like you need to get a little bit of form early because trying to get form in the middle of that series, it's, it feels almost impossible just because you're facing such high-quality bowl, bowling and the ball is moving so much that, you know, you, you, you're never getting an easy run. So um, you know, I look at Davey and I just think he, he, didn't, he didn't start well. I know he, he kind of, he had that one innings where he got 60, I think, or mm. 70, but mm. um, apart from that, and even then he, he was lucky, I think, for a lot of it. So it, it just looks like he, he's, he's a... He's a guy short of confidence, and and it's almost the worst place to be because it, it just feels like the ball is swinging round corners. It may not look it, but when you're out in the middle, it just feels like the ball is doing everything, and you, and you don't know if it's going to actually hit the bat. So I, I feel a little bit sorry for him, um, not too much knowing who he is, but um, it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I did, I, we were exchanging a few messages today just seeing how, how it's going. So um, he's still in pretty good spirits. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, he's pretty resilient. I think he, he'll come mm. through it. Or, or bad, I, you know, I know he'll be extremely disappointed at this because I think it, he'll be thinking about, you know, his legacy a little bit and, and, and he's never particularly done well in England, which will hurt him quite a lot, I reckon. And just at the other end of the spectrum, Bucky, one, one guy who has done well is, is Smith. I mean, we were just saying earlier that the, the superlatives have kind of run out for him. But, like, you know, as a um, as a very, very successful um, professional and international cricketer, where's, you know, where does Steve Smith rate for you? What's he doing with his batting that we're not seeing? Um, is there anything you can offer that hasn't already been said? Um. Yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know. You, um, it is. It is unbelievable. I think you know that when he to watch how he's going bef- before. I guess South Africa, and you'd say, look, he's he's as good as Coley, you know, as good as anyone in the world. But then to come back and after he's been what he's he's been through, and to be even better, and to to lay claim to to number one outright, it's just such a you know. He, Unbelievable achievement! You only have to look at how he how he goes about it, and, and he's a and his manic movements, and you know that he's he's a little bit crazy. There's there's probably a few wires that that aren't connected quite right, but it just helps him become the, the best player in the world, doesn't it? You know, so um, it, it takes a certain certain type, I think, to be to be that way inclined. And you know, you watch him train; he hits more balls than anyone I've ever seen, and and just has this deep desire to be better than anyone and, and it's shown through but it's just you know as a as a coach trying to coach young players and watching them all now coming back like Steve Smith I think it's it's cooked us a little bit because you just don't know how to coach this this, this method it's, it's um it's so unique um and there's certain things I think he does that we still don't understand so 
Um, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get a whole generation of players playing like him and, and how that's going to turn out, but I think we're going to find out. Shit. So it's going to be like when Shane Warne retired and we just spent like a decade searching for the next Shane Warne and then we got like 16 off spinners who played three tests each. It's going to be a dearth. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. But, but uh, how, did, how did you go with the crowds over there? Obviously, you, you played, you played uh, you know, a whole heap of county cricket over there. So I imagine you've been quite well accepted. But obviously, um, it's been like quite a lot of aggression, obviously, for obvious reasons towards certain Australian guys. But I mean, how did you go in the UK crowds over there? Did you spend much time on the boundary, sort of sweeping up or, and then sort of coming to the dressing rooms at tea time and, and sharing some stories about what was being said? Or, or did the crowd sort of react to you quite, quite, um, quite lovingly? Um. <laughs> I was I was always pretty slow, so I, I found my found a, a way to stay inside the circle because you didn't really want to be on the boundary. Um, you tend to cop it. I, I was out there one time. I had my glasses on, and they were singing. There's only one Harry Potter. But um, <laughs> apart from that, I, I didn't. I clever, didn't, aren't um, they? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't cop it too much. Um, Mitchell Johnson was the one. I I, I think that. The fact that he even played on past the 2015 series surprised me a bit. He didn't last much longer, but he, they would start singing. They had two songs for, for him. They would start singing um, them at 11 o'clock when the, when the first ball was bowled and then wouldn't finish till 6.30 when the, when the last ball was bowled. And it was, it was pretty, much, pretty much all about him. So how, how he managed to get himself through that. And then he'd get it in the street as well. So, um, yeah, it was a, to watch how he had to deal with that was... was was um, interesting, but the other thing is that you know they were singing it at six thirty, still thinking it was the funniest thing ever. When <laughs> at that stage it was like, mate, shut up, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell me, to, tell, tell me to shut up here as well. But you mentioned wearing the glasses, and I, I'm just thinking, you know, it must be a real honour for you to have been referenced by the great <laughs> demigod Steve Smith um, at the night celebrations, uh, as we've all seen on the internet, um, being clarified by the photographer Ryan Pierce that Smith wearing glasses uh, was actually referencing you, you know, on the Old Trafford pitch and, and not Jack Leach. That must be um, that must be quite touching. Yeah, really touching. Yeah, he actually. Gets, <laughs> he, I'm dropping all sorts of names at the moment, but he he he, he sent me that pic. Um, I woke up to that pick this morning saying um, he, he'd done it in honour of me. Um, whether, whether I'm a smoke screen, I'm not exactly sure, but um, <laughs> I was touched anyway to have got a message from him. So um, they looked like they were having fun. Um, I, I think um, after we won the Ashes in Perth in 13-14, in mm. I managed to take a catch. I went and um, mm. reenacted the catch by taking a you know catching a, a beer bottle at the time so may all these things come around you know that um it, it all happens i don't know why people are getting so offended who cares it was all it was all a bit of fun oh i was just gonna pick up on the circuiting theme um buck i mean we, we presume that the australian cricketers are still on it um when, <laughs> do you have any indication i mean you, you said you've got a text from steve smith have you got any any subsequent texts <laughs> any um no, I think he probably turned his phone off after that. Um, but, yeah, look, I, 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 I it's a disturbing lack of media a... around the circuit, though. I mean, usually we get little tidbits here and there, or you know, naked runs through the set of the Today Show, or yeah, some, some kind of unusual stuff. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, yeah, just not turning up to events the next day. But um, we've all been there. But um, yeah, I, 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 I imagine they they. 
um, celebrated well, but they've they've got another couple of days before another test, and then I imagine there might be a couple in Ibiza or somewhere like that afterwards. So who oh knows what that will do then. You just, that was a very specific oh, place to, to mention. But, uh, I mean, yeah, sp- speaking of uh, dropping names, I don't know if you're sitting still across from you, but does um, Rhino have a view on whether Cummins' ball to root is now better than his to cook? And, and if, if he hasn't said anything, you could just ask him on air. <laughs> um, well, well, every time that that ball comes on, he, he still says it's the, the the best ball ever bowled, um, the one that he bowled. So um, I'm pretty sure he. No, actually, he said to me tonight he thought the root played around the one from. Um, from didn't get forward. Didn't get forward. Did he? Yeah. That's why he organised yeah, the catch yeah. up just to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's quite good. Oh, thanks for being a good sport with that, Bucky. Any other questions, Dave? Here goes. No. We'll let you get no, back right. to the Pinot, mate. Uh, enjoy the Pinot and the steak, and um, thanks for the insights. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. Lots of laughs as well. I love I love the the um the Twitter account. It's great. I follow it um a great deal, and even while I understand not only not, not even half of it, I still love it. <laughs> what perfect endorsement could you have? That was Chris Rogers. Wonderful conversation. You can just see him enjoying that Pinot with uh, Rhino Harris. Uh, and Joe Root, yeah, he just played around it. Mm. <laughs> just um, yeah, look, an, an influx of pictures come our way these days because we talk about budgie smuggler every week and just people who like to point out to us that people wear budgie smugglers while playing sport and stuff. Mm. And, you know, it's not really sure what to do with it half the time mm. or most of the time, but I guess it underlines the point that there is, a, there is a, an increase in budgie smuggler wearing... I guess, you know, as, as, as friends of Budgie Smuggler, that's great to see. Uh, I thought I'd ask, because it's never really made sense to me too much, or I've not really understood. Like, it's a bit of a pro sport thing, isn't it, wearing Budgie Smuggler's boys? Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that sort of as you, go, mm-hmm. as you climb higher up those, that hierarchy of sport, you see it more and more. What's the, what's the upside of wearing Budgie Smuggler's while playing sport as a man? Um, well, everything's compressed. I first noticed this in the footballing realm that, like, um, football players. I mean, because obviously they're getting tackled and getting pulled from all directions, and so like the 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 budgie yep. will. It's it's the hardest underwear undergarment to remove. You know, if you if you're popping on some CKs, you know, underneath your footy shorts or your whites mm. or you know oh, yeah. whatever, like that, those things will just get yourself exposed, uh, and in the wrong kind of way, not just technically but also emotionally. So that's why you, that's why people wearing budgie smuggers as professional athletes. Keep yourself locked in. I think. Yeah, well, definitely the, the locked-in aspect. Um, but also with cricket, and there is a proliferation of cricketers wearing budgie smugglers, very colourful budgie smugglers. Obviously, in cricket, you have to wear white clothing mm. all day, and there's no opportunity to really showcase your personality you know, other than in conversation with people. Mm. So you have to show it somehow, and you can just see the faint outline of budgies under whites in some cases. I have seen uh, the budgies visible under Ben Stokes, a, a huge unofficial brand ambassador of budgie mm. smuggler. Um, so I just the, I guess it's the opportunity to showcase a little bit of your personality under your pants. Okay, thanks for answering that question for me um, in this targeted advertisement. Uh, if you would like some budgie smugglers... <laughs> Please visit budgiesmuggler.com.au. Ben Stokes does it. So does Nathan Lyon. All right. Let's roll straight into hashtag RCGC. But beforehand, 
We've got to speak about a couple of things. Bez, we mentioned the other week uh, about uh, you know people doing their preseason, uh, you know preseason award awards. Evening, no one's doing a preseason award evening. You can't you can't give out awards before the season started. Although we all know who's going to win best and fairest each season, highest run scorer, that sort of thing. Most ducks, you can pretty much lock those in now, can't you, listeners at home? But um, but uh, you know the, the functions are coming up, and and you can uh, you can reach out to the great cricketer at greatcricketer.club to speak at your preseason function or your Christmas party or what's happening at any time throughout the year. Uh, every club has a fundraiser of some description. Got a lot last week. To... Just go on. Yeah. Sorry, uh, that's a complete interruption. I was just adding that um, we we got a surprising number of inquiries last week as well, and obviously the the, the social window for preseason mm-hmm. is a smallish one. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in having one, two, or three of us, uh, you know, yeah, offer content after 1974, mm-hmm. then um, you know, don't ask Rodney Hogg. Ask us. Mm. Love you, Hoggy. Mm. Although we Brad. would be open to doing a mix-up with Rodney Hogg with if you've got the budget to hire both Rodney Hogg mm. and the great cricketers. You know, we might be able to interview him. You know, we might be able to just chat with him. You know, maybe just a bit of banter, a bit of ad lib stuff. Yeah, bit of cli- he's doing he's doing a bit of climate stuff at the moment. Well, I think we could have an so. intellectual debate. Um, you know, bit of oh, Billy yeah, Madison style. The great debate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, An academic decathlon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> At no point did you answer the question and may God have mercy on your soul, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, greatcricketer.club is where you can also get merchandise. Obviously, we released a very small run of uh, stubby holders, which are almost all gone. Uh, greatcricketer.club, get those in. And uh, we're going to be touring uh, the uh, the country again during the summer, um, and those shows are going to be announced uh, very shortly. Uh, I'd imagine the next week or so. I should know the exact dates of when those will be announced, but um, We'll be on the road again, so look out for those. GreatCreator.club for all that information there. It's, uh, it's the best way to contact us, etc., etc. All right, let's get into um, hashtag AskTGC. Uh, and um, we've got four of the best here, lads. Uh, and I'll kick this one off from Joe Robinson, who says, Our season has ended in England, and we have a problem that possibly only the great cricketer can solve. Despite having five batters averaging over 30 and one of our players being the third highest run scorer in the division, our batting award has been won by one of our bowlers who has scored 42 runs and been dismissed only once. Said bowler has also been keenly gaming the system over the past month, asking to be dropped down the order, and in one game, batting mysteriously slowly in a tight game, we ended up losing, whilst he, of course, got his not out. Should we call an EGM to change the club rules before the awards? Should we refuse to hand out a batting award for the season? Should we abandon the concept of awards entirely as being part of an overly individualistic society when team performance is all that matters? Any advice is welcome. That comes from Joe. Okay, so I'm presuming that like the current policy around the awarding of the the batting award is simply he who has the highest average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Huge either the change, the t- change the title of the award... Yeah. Or change the policy around what it represents. Because if you call it batting award, you've got wiggle room there. Batting award doesn't mean average. Couldn't mean aggregate. Sorry for the, uh, you know, completely uncreative answer. But it seems a bit strange that your batting award is entirely based on yeah. who has the highest average. I yeah. mean, averages, you know, could be games massively. Yeah. Mm, like Bradman. It is, it is shocking. And Bradman did game the system to achieve 99.94. <laughs> Um, you're right there. Oh, look, I don't know. I mean, yeah, just you, you should give him the award, I think, but just make as many uh, underhanded references as possible to how he is gaming the system. Just make him feel terrible. Bullying, they call it in some circles. Um, so just, yeah, just everyone just point and laugh at him when he accepts the award. That'd be good. I would change the name of the award to the most selfish award. 
that's that seems like a, a more. Mm. I don't, I you have to hand out the award to everyone. <laughs> we'll see if he hides himself down the order after that. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I have to say that like I was at silly mid off. Um, okay, Clint <laughs> Good writes. Good call, lady. <laughs> I he said lady for a second. <laughs> hey, lady. Hey, Good call, lady. lady. Good call, lady. Uh, 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 Clint says, hi, all. When I push my two-year-old son on the swing, I pretend that I'm facing a series of well-aimed short balls <laughs> as the swing returns to my head high. I wait until the last minute, drop my hands, and sway out of the way. I never get hit. If I push the swing from the front, my kid and all the other parents think I'm playing a fun game with my son. I'm fine. We've had some good ones recently. That could be a, that could be a hall of famer for me as well. There's nothing that American guy a couple of weeks ago. You don't have to spend 800 words. You can achieve yeah. it in yeah. 50 words or less. And just and for the listeners, can I just say that his final two words, "I'm fine." He doesn't actually add an apostrophe between the I and the M as well, or, or a full, full stop. stop. So it just kind of trails off. I'm fine. That's it. <laughs> Or the previous I am actually I can see a red squiggly line underneath it in my word document. I can um, I can see uh, I can see the words I'm fine being typed when he's looking into into the middle distance down and to the left, not really looking or focusing on anything. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> taking most of him. Can I think of other little like parenting moments that incorporate cricket skills? Mm. Pez, do you can you think of any? Um, well, it's not as funny as that. Like the, this evening with my son, like you're always just trying to find games to play with him. And like I just had like 20 minutes with him, and we had two, like two like mini soccer balls on a table, and he reveled in hitting them off the table, and I mm. reveled in pretending that I was like a bit peeved that he was doing that, and like scrambling to go and get it. So I'm basically practicing my catching skills. There's nothing for him, and placing it back on the table. Oh. And he found he found it hilarious that I was getting frustrated and I was hamming it up. And it's probably um, it's probably not what cycle. I'll just recommend. Yeah. I suppose his first words were, you know, let's get 10. Exactly. Um, yeah, when I'm changing Eli's nappy, I use my wrists a lot. I don't usually, you know, I'm not very wristy in other aspects of my life, but, you know, okay. that's just what I do. Um, yeah, that could be construed differently. Uh, Linda Wu, uh, she writes, Dear TGC, my boyfriend and I recently went to Trent Bridge to watch Middlesex versus Knotts Outlaws for the T20 quarterfinals. Whilst we are Knotts members, we were mainly there for my boyfriend to get within touching distance of Owen Morgan and myself near AB de Villiers, who I consider an incredible cricketer, an absolute kilp as in MILF, but cricketer I'd like to marry, an acronym. My boyfriend decided he'd be more than happy for us to invite AB into our bedroom. So we started talking through exactly how this would work. But as we got into the detail, it became apparent that my boyfriend would be more than happy to wait outside the bedroom door, patiently waiting and shadow batting for AB to come free and offer him a batting masterclass. My question to you is... Is my boyfriend simply demonstrating classic beta behaviour, or should I be concerned that he'd be happily that he would happily allow me to do anything, as long as it resulted in a coaching session and potential for him to improve his average above six and cement his position as a number seven? My second question: We saw Darwood Milan heading out for a warm up, and he left his kit at the top of the stairs to go back in the changing rooms. At which point, I noticed he had two boxes. Why would he have two? She asks. My third question is. Were you at the Edgebaston tests on day three and were you taken aback when I stormed over and asked if you were TGC guys or did I commit the sin of thinking all Australians sound alike? My apologies for the latter. Love the show. I've been sticking pins in a Nathan Lyon doll since March 2018. Please never have him on the show for Linda. <laughs> uh, a couple of belters today. Um, 
Yeah, well, the first well, the first question answers itself. Two boxes. I played with a guy who had two boxes, and um, um, a guy uh, like he, he batted with two boxes, and um, his opening partner was getting sledged one day, and um, he said, "What are you sledging me for?" The guy at the other end is wearing two boxes. So, <laughs> but what, how does he wear two? Is it like an inner box, like inner gloves? Like what? What? How, where's the second box? It'd be like it's a one smaller than one the other, smaller one's like than a babushka the other. Doll. That's right, like babushka, babushka doll. doll. Babushka doll. But for your penis, <laughs> I cover my penis with babushka doll of boxes. <laughs> Can we just go to the top one as well? Like, I mean, um, Linda asks, is my boyfriend simply demonstrating classic beta behaviour? This is in relation to the question of whether um, he's okay Mm. for her to have any Mm. sexual relation with Abe de Villiers so long as he gets a coaching uh, lesson. Yes, that's classic beta behaviour. That's in the the DSM. Yeah. That's in the psychological book. Yeah, Yeah. that's in DSM of beta behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, mutual interests are aligning here. Like she has a romantic and probably sexual interest in AB de Villiers, and you know, presumably her boyfriend wants her to be happy, but also he wants to get better at cricket. I mean, this is this healthy? It's a classic cuckolding scenario. It's, That's where I thought it was going, but yeah. he said he wanted to yeah. coach it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the concern there is the yeah, the tryst does turn romantic, and then he refuses to give. A batting lesson but a So of, he's, the boyfriend's alone And no better at batting Yeah a lot of couples These days are having Open relationships And this seems like one That could work for both parties So maybe um, <clears throat> Of course there's another Huge opportunity here That um, Linda's a guy Called Glenn And um, we're, we're being Catfished <laughs> again um, yeah. Damn Glenn And his catfishing <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I just on that Third question about Edge Bass and Test Day 3 I don't recall that Do you guys No that wasn't me We were there mm. We were there We were there Day, day 3 there, Yeah Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe this is Jim Maxwell. I think I'd remember if a woman spoke to us. <laughs> That's true. It doesn't happen often. Um, mm. Okay. Um, Anonymous writes in. DTGC, long-time listener, first-time advice seeker. Despite successfully escaping the claws of cricket as a 13-year-old to seek higher honours in another sport, it was my best chance of getting rep kit to wear for the rest of time. Yes, this happens in every sport. At age 30, I am now known amongst my circle of friends and colleagues as the cricket guy. This is owing to a self-confessed love for the sport a couple of years spelt working around the professional game, albeit very much behind a laptop. In November this year, my now very corporate employers holding their annual off-site meet-up and amongst the activities listed to partake in for team building is beach cricket. No doubt the poorer cousin of actual cricket, this activity poses a huge problem for my potential standing with the hierarchy in the office. Several other employees upon seeing the activity have already uh, remarked to me their excitement to see what I can do. Herein lies the issue, writes Anonymous. Despite my love for the game, when it comes to actually picking up a battle ball, I'm yuck. My last season spent in any form of organised cricket resulted in a season-long batting average of 4.23 and six ducks. While I can land the ball on the pitch, the sight of my ungainly 6-7 frame bowling spin is also a far cry from the perceived ideals of what good should look like on a cricket field, plus shit rig average chat. So I'm seeking your advice. Should I start training now, two months out, with the hope of lifting my ability enough to avoid embarrassment and potentially looking like a cuck in front of my colleagues and being forced to resign out of shame? Should I ignore all potential ramifications and remark to any negative criticism that beach cricket is rank? Should I instead surprise everyone and opt for beach volleyball with the beaters, knowing that the large frame could be an effective defensive force at the net to negate Janice from account spike? I don't know if any options are good. 
but if there's three blokes from the internet who could help, it's probably yous. Cheers, Anon. Hmm. Beach volleyball is not beach art, I think, is it? It's fun. I yeah, I spent just the back half of that re-looking at that first paragraph and, like, why he was known as the cricket guy. So he says that he's actually... He escaped the clutches of cricket as a 13-year-old so, to seek higher honours in another sport. Yeah, I know. He's been working in the game behind a laptop. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's been... Yeah, owing to a self-confessed love of sport because I feel like if you have benefited from and, and not kind of, um, like... Uh, what, what's the word? Not kind of like torn down the reputation you've been growing, that you've been cultivating mm. as a cricket person. Then this is straight comeuppance, and I don't really have much sympathy. <laughs> you know, like if you've been happy to be the cricket guy, <laughs> straight comeuppance all the time, hoping that no one ever sees you play the code. Then this is kind yeah. of a lesson to you, and perhaps a good thing. And I think you should possibly play the game. But then again, yeah. it's a very, very poor decision in a corporate environment to do that, and you should avoid that game at all costs. Pez, I would, I would. <laughs> Suggest as the single man of the group that, like, first of all, it depends who you're trying to impress. Because if it's like, if there's someone in the office that maybe he's caught anonymous's eye, not that he suggested that, but I'm just thinking as a single man here, like, they mm. most women, you know, won't really care what your bowling action looks like. That's been my experience anyway. And like, they're probably more likely to be engaging in some frivolous activity of beach volleyball, which is fun because no one's good at it. So it's funny if you shit. Like, whereas yeah. cricket is just a sport where it's just wrapped up in, like, feelings and emotion and anxiety, whereas beach volleyball seems more fun to me. So, yeah, get yourself, you're, right. you're 6'7", get yourself to the net. Get, get, in, get in Janice's face for right. accounts and uh, have a good, good afternoon. Can I just point out that he's a six foot seven off spinner? <laughs> so that is just a tremendous waste of natural resources. It's and also just useless mm. in beach cricket where spin is... Completely redundant, <laughs> like unless you're playing on those like yeah. tourism ad coastlines, just mm. pristine, endless mm. coastlines. Mm. Now that um, I think about it, it's like, um, in fact, it's it's actually the it's the best kind of player you want to be in this scenario is an okay cricketer, because most people with normal lives don't know what a good cricketer exactly. looks like. Yeah. And as you know, three of us obviously, you know blah, 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 failed at club cricket, etc. you can obviously play the code mm. a little bit. And that can often be a disadvantage in these games because you don't know how to actually play it socially. That's right, Pez. If you can, if you can play, someone bowls you the ball and you're like, well, I know where this has got to go mm. and I don't get to hit people over the top very often in my actual cricketing life, so I really am trying to hold back doing that. But then you're trying to do this false kind of, oh, I'm just going to hit people catches thing and that's yeah. really condescending mm. as well. So it's hard to know how to actually play. Mm. It's like um, it's like when you go to karaoke and someone gets up and sings a song and they're a professional singer mm. and you're like, that's not how you meant to fucking do that. <laughs> like, you meant to be, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, with karaoke. You don't want to be too good at it. You want to be pissed and excited, but not yeah. great. And people are like, that's really good. And if you can take that to corporate cricket, I think you'll be really respected. So maybe you've got to play, just try your best. If you're shit, then people are just going to go, oh, he's having a go. Depends where he also sits in the corporate hierarchy. Like, if he's trying to impress superiors or if he's trying to be friendly to inferiors. I'd, I'd be interested to know where he is on the corporate ladder in the, in the corporate structure within his organisation. Mm. Um, then I could probably better advise how he should play. Because if Cause Is it one of those ones where, like, you want to hit catches or just, like, be really friendly when Janice is bowling, but mm. then, like, if someone who's going for the same promotion as you who plays, yeah. like, first or second grade comes in off a long run, and if you can just walk at them and smash them over their yeah. head, it doesn't matter what happens in accounts or any kind of strategic decision no. down the track, he'll always or she will always know that you did that. 
Hmm. Is it, it, what, what, like there could be an underlie here of like someone could be in the office who like hasn't announced themselves as the cricketer. They kind of keep cricket separate from their life, and they're, yeah. they're actually a good cricketer, and and they could be waiting for <laughs> you to goes. reveal yourself as the cricketer and that, fail. That's true. That doesn't happen because most white collar workers are shit at cricket, and mm. there are very few outliers who are able to combine, you know, good, strong amateur cricket careers with a burgeoning actual white collar job. True. So uh, I just don't see many situations where some unexpected prodigy will emerge mm. and um, and dominate him. So I think if he he's probably the best cricketer in his organisation, and he's just got to fucking figure it out. Mm. That's such. A, I, I, now that you said that, he goes. I've started to feel anxious. I mean, I'm a freelancer works for myself and I'm anxious about the situation now <laughs> because someone could have played like under 16s or 17s and just and be a really humble yeah. like uh, ambitious person yeah. who then just r- witnesses what's going on to anonymous here yeah. and just comes in and, and slicks I don't know what the stumps whether it's proper stumps that are sent cartwheeling or if it's like a wheelie bin mm. where the ball smashes into the bin mm. but it could be hugely humiliating stump plosion yeah well I am Play, looking forward um, to our Christmas party this year boys uh, where we've got a game <laughs> and <laughs> bowler goes to keeper etc etc uh, yeah. yeah that's going to be good when we go to the Bahamas this year too because um, we've got um, tax evasion accounts going on yep. um, alright that's a weird angle to take to finish the show um, <laughs> just open up a tax evasion account <laughs> can I open one please yeah <laughs> that's how it works. Costs a fortune to fly there, but it's worth it in the end. Uh, that's what Christmas case said. All right, um, the fifth test is <laughs> the fifth test is is around the corner. Can Australia take the series three one two one, or could it be two two? Those are your three options. That's what's going to happen. We'll see you next time on the Great Cricketer Podcast.